0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Henry David Thoreau once wrote, If you would convince a man that he does wrong, do right, but do not care to convince him. Men will believe what they see. Let them see. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan.
2: This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue
1: in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Secret Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map of everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We put out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week, all available at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about tonight? Well, Rick, this is Contradictions Part 5. What profound
2: secret does creation reveal? Our theme text is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made up earth and heaven.
1: So again, contradictions part five, what profound secret does creation reveal? Genesis is the first book of the Bible and its foundation. It lays out for us the origin of the intricacies of our world, as well as the origins of the human race. Morality is introduced, and this book takes us through the the first few thousand years of the human experience. Genesis, particularly the creation account, is profoundly important to our understanding of God and our place in his universe. Critics of the Bible seem to love this creation account. They're quick to point out that in the very first chapter, the book presents itself as not only wildly contradictory, but clearly unscientific as well. Their conclusions are that it is simply a collection of tales and imaginations. Are they right? Well, coming up in today's podcast, what do you do when the book you've placed all your faith in gives cause for doubt on the very first page? In segment two, we look at the issues with the order of creation at the beginning of Genesis. The answer is logical, if you're willing to see it. How do we as Christians handle the glaring contradictions between Genesis 1 and 2? These differences in the creation account are too big to ignore and not easily explained away. Well, in segments 3 and 4, we take this conundrum apart, examine the pieces, and then put it back together, and what we find is breathtaking. The answer to the serious questions about Genesis 1 and 2 harmonizing is not simply that they agree. It is that those two chapters are profoundly designed to work together. How do we draw such a powerful conclusion? Well, you have to stay with us for segments 4 and 5 to find out.
2: Rick, does the creation account support fanciful stories
1: to give the ignorant something to hold on to, or is it actually based in fact? Well, Jonathan, those are good questions, and to answer those questions, we brought Julie back. Hey! Hello, everyone! (laughs) Julie, how are you? And just for the sake of listeners, as you answer the question of how are you, just tell us a little bit about who you are in relation to Christian questions.
3: Well, one of my primary duties at Christian Questions is I volunteer to work on the team that produces the CQ Rewind show notes, which you talked about at the beginning. And if anyone uh, doesn't get these on a weekly basis, I highly recommend it. Uh, we every week we go ahead and take everything that you two have said and all every scripture that you've quoted and we put it into a nice concise format so that our listeners can go ahead and follow along visually while they're listening to the audio and for this purpose, for ChristianQuestions.com, you can go there and search the word contradiction and get the other episodes in this contradiction series.
1: Okay. So, and how are you, Julie?
3: I'm very good. Thank oh, you. Okay. Excited about this program.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here with Jonathan and myself. So, so Julie, just let's very quickly walk through. We, di- we did two previous episodes. We're doing four episodes in a row, a little mini-series on contradictions. And in the last two episodes, we introduced contradiction principles. Let me just run through them with you and just give us a sense of what they mean. The first contradiction principle was deduce when flashback is being used as a literary device.
3: Well, this is when things seem out of order. It might be going back in to fill in some more details.
1: Okay. So you, everything in the Bible is not written con- uh, um, consecutively. You have to understand um, that you might be doing a flashback, if you will. That's right. N- next contradiction principle is, is purpose. God uses various tools to accomplish his plan.
3: And what might astound people is he can even use things like confusion and darkness as tools. So that was a very interesting point that we brought out a few weeks ago.
1: And you again, you need to hear the episode to see how that fits in. Another contradiction principle we talked about is distinguish between temporary emotion and eternal purpose.
3: Well, you know, our temporary experiences here look bleak. But there's a big picture of God's ultimate compassion and mercy. And when you understand that big plan, it helps us to put in place those little temporary emotions that we have or that sometimes God has.
1: Okay. And then finally, the final contradiction principle was always seek the larger context beyond any single account. Remember, various perspectives enhance true understanding.
3: And that's especially helpful when studying the Gospels, where you had various witnesses to the event and you need to kind of put them all together and it gives us the full story. Okay. But can I just tell Jonathan a little bit about how today's questions were chosen?
1: Sure. How were they? I want to hear it.
3: So, Rick tasked me with finding discrepancies people have in the book of Genesis. And I chose about 10 what I thought were really good questions. But I thought they'd be uh, relatively easy to explain and we could kind of fit them all into one podcast episode. And so imagine my surprise when Rick calls me and says, we'll be talking for the entire hour and 15 minutes about just two of them. Whoa. (laughs) And I'm telling you, the only way to describe him was to use the word giddy, like (laughs) me in a donut shop. He was so excited (laughs) that he was calling this that he had gotten a new revelation in Genesis. Ah, get it? Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think I've ever heard him so excited about something. So we are in for an amazing hour.
1: Well, and and it's true folks, I, this, I am jumping out of my skin on this because this is something I've always kind of looked at very generally and just said, Oh, sure. It's easy. Begin to look into it deeply and you see deep truth. And that, We just got to get into it. So with all of that said, yes, I am giddy. And let's get started. So Jonathan, let's kind of lay out the groundwork for the first question.
2: Okay, Rick and Julie, let's get started. Our first problem, Genesis chapter one. Did God create the sun before or after the vegetation on earth? So here is the challenge. Genesis one, three, and four. On the first day, God created light then separated light and darkness. But in Genesis 1, 14 and 19, the sun, which separates night and day, wasn't created until the fourth day. So let's read them to try to figure this all out. Genesis 1, 3 and 4. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And now in Genesis 1, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for, be- and for days and years. So, did God create the sun before or after vegetation, the first day or the fourth day?
3: So, we have a roughly 2,000-page book, and already in the first two pages, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> did God create light twice?
1: Okay. And, and, and you're right. The first two pages of the book, you have not only this, but the other contradiction, which is even larger than this, comes glaring out at you. It's like, can't you even get started? And critics love this. They love to look at this and say, what a mess. Let's listen. There's no mess here, because here's one of the contradiction principles that we want to introduce for today, and actually, in our program, uh, in our podcast last week, Tom Ruggirello introduced the first part of this as a principle, and I just added the second part. So, Jonathan, what's this contradiction principle?
2: Don't read what is not there. Do
1: read what is there. That's a simple thing. The answer here is don't read into things that you, that are there, and then don't neglect What is there? Because we've read something into it and decided we have a conclusion. So the basic explanation here is simple. The Genesis creative account is only focused on planet Earth. Let's try to get our heads around that right here at the beginning. The heavens referenced in the early verses of Genesis chapter 1 are the atmosphere that surround our planet. We're going to get into that in the next segment. This account in Genesis chapter 1 is given for the purpose of humanity comprehending our beginnings and the superior power that creates life. So it's a simple thing. It's not about when it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That means it's only about the earth and its atmosphere. That's what it's talking about. So we therefore look at this account as the story of creation being shown to a human being Who's observing it from an earthly perspective? So imagine um, Moses as God is explaining this to him, seeing a uh, seeing a a video of of what's happening, seeing this this video that's all sped up, and he's seeing all these things. He's standing there on Earth, seeing this. That's what we're looking at. This is what God is giving him to understand. Okay, so something very simple, very straightforward. So Jonathan, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and actually read those first verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the
2: heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep,
1: and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface
2: of the waters.
1: Okay, it's, this is very dramatic when you think about it, and I would love to spend a whole bunch of time on it, but we, we, this is part of a much bigger story here. But you've got darkness over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God beginning to move, beginning to do things. So what it's saying is there's no light penetrating through the chaotic veil around the planet. And what it's saying here is God is now setting nature in motion. That's an important phrase that we're going to come back to throughout this entire podcast. So God is now setting nature in motion On planet Earth. You know, it's kind of scary to be critically reviewing what God did and how He did it. We need to remain respectful.
2: God's creation had to be in strict scientific order. We are sure the Scriptures support them. You
0: know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features, and you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic.
1: The thing that so many, especially critics, so easily forget is that God is the creator of science. His rules for the universe are what drive it in all of its vast and magnificent harmony. If we can accept this as fact, it becomes so much easier to grasp and appreciate the scriptural account of creation. So creation is not counter to science. It follows the rules that God gave for science
2: rick and julie what do you do when the book you have placed all your faith in gives you cause for doubt on the very first page and i might just add isn't that what the skeptics want you to think
1: Mm -hmm. be doubtful and and you know you can see why they look at this with doubt because it just doesn't seem to make sense and that's where we have to look to understand how the scriptures are written. So just getting back to where we ended the first segment, with God's Spirit setting nature in motion, we can now see light being unleashed to do its natural work of establishing an environment to stimulate growth. Because that's what light does. Light stimulates growth. So Jonathan, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we read verses 1 and 2 at the end of the first segment. Let's read again verses 3, and three through 5.
2: Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day.
1: So, important note here. The, 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 the command from God, let there be light, was not the creation of the sun. It was the introduction of the power of the sun into the formation of the environment of the earth. Let the surface see light. It's like opening a shade in a dark room. You say, wow, it's dark. And you open the shade and say, oh, look, it's light. The light was always there. You just couldn't see it. Julie?
3: You know, that sounds, it's a very primitive way to say it. You know, and again, the way you put it where he's talking He's showing this to Moses so that Moses could write this down in in a language that Moses could understand in a way that it would be communicated. You know, it's very primitive. This was a water-based planet, and in order to move forward with the next things that you needed, the little microbes and the plants and all that, we needed light. Right. So the steps are there. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Okay, so the sun was always there. This is what we're saying. Because when it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it's not talking about the universe and the earth. And that's where so many people get this wrong. How do we know? How can we be sure that that's what it says? Well, let's go to the second creative day.
3: Wait, wait. So, so are you saying that Genesis doesn't talk about the creation of the universe at all?
1: No, that is exactly what I'm saying. It does not talk about the creation of the universe.
3: Okay, see, that's mind-blowing because I always assumed that we started out with the universe and then we worked to earth.
1: Right. But when it says he created the heavens and the earth, he's talking about the atmosphere around the earth. And we know that because in the second creative day, in, in the King James Version, it's called the firmament. In some translations, it's atmosphere or expanse. In the second creative day, this expanse, this firmament, the atmosphere was established. Now, having the atmosphere established, the appropriate combination of the elements could begin to feed Growth. You need atmosphere to be able to feed the growth. Once the atmosphere was in place, it could be continued to refine, to be refined rather, in accordance with God's rules of nature. In the book of Genesis, um, it talks about this firmament or this expanse, and it says, "And God called it heaven." So, when you say God created heavens and the earth. He's defining in Genesis. He means the atmosphere. He doesn't mean way out there. It's the atmosphere that surrounds the Earth. Okay? That's a big, big deal to understand that. This is just about the creation of the Earth. So So
3: when science says that the planet is very, very old, you know, the rocks say it's how many thousands or millions of years old, we don't dispute that because... The Bible doesn't drop in until this ball is already created. It could have been sitting there for millions and millions and millions of years with the universe until he decided to create man. And thus we're adjusting the perspective. This book is for man. Right. The book is not for someone else in the universe. Right. Okay.
1: So we've got this long history about planet Earth and its atmosphere. Okay, that's what this is about. That's all that this is about and everything contained therein. So Jonathan, there's an important note here we want to go over. What, what is it? You're right, Rick. The
2: ending of a creative day signifies that the objective of that day was powerfully set in motion, not that there could be no more growth or change to that
1: which was created. Okay, so the ending of a creative day doesn't mean that that creation of that day ends. And that might sound a little weird.
3: Okay, so what's happening on each creative day then is God is setting um, like nature cycles, right. cyclical things. He's setting the first thing up and then it will continue to cycle itself like, um, you know, starting up a motor. He starts, he, he's pressing the button. Now the motor will continue to run, 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 run by right. itself.
1: Right, and, the, and it okay. warms up and then it can do other things and then you engage it to do this and that and the other. So just because a creative day ends doesn't mean the creation that began on that day ended. This is important to understand because God's creative effort just continues to go on and it overlaps. The ending of a creative day doesn't mean, okay, firmaments, the the, the atmosphere, all done, no there's a lot of development that happens over thousands and thousands and thousands and in many cases millions of years uh, afterwards so let's touch on the third creative day we're working our way up to the problem here the third creative day god sets in motion the appearance of dry land with the power of the sun's shield uh, of the sun being shielded uh, it, nevertheless the life-giving force with an atmosphere conducive for growth, vegetation begins to flourish. So in this third creative day, you've got dry land. The sun is beginning to do its work. It's not pounding through the atmosphere. It's still kind of clouded, if you will, but it's doing its life-giving work, and it says the waters were separated from the waters, and the dry land appears. So it's the next logical process. Julie, you said this is a water-based planet, and now you've got the water-based planet showing land. Without land, you don't have vegetation in life. Obviously, that has to come. So this third creative day, how long did it take? I don't know. Long enough. Long enough to have the planet ready for the fourth creative day.
2: Okay, Rick, here's the problem, the fourth creative day. Let's look at Genesis 1, 14, uh, verse 14. And then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for
1: signs and for seasons and for days and years. So you're bringing the problem up because I keep saying, well, there you have, the sun has always been there, the sun's always been there, and now God says, let there be lights in the expanse, in the atmosphere, to separate the day from the night and so forth and so on. So it looks like to somebody who doesn't is, isn't going to put this in, in in order, it looks like God is deciding to create the the uh, um, lights plural in this fourth day, after he separated light and darkness, which again doesn't make sense. After you have the atmosphere being established, after you have land appearing, and now he's creating these lights. Well. Let's Jonathan, actually, let's go and read verses 15 through 19 of Genesis chapter 1 to uh, finish the description of what God did, and then, and Julie, then we'll go back through and kind of reason our way through this. And let them be for
2: lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day.
1: So Julie, when you when you you go through this, it really sounds like God is like creating these lights and the stars in the expanse.
3: And like he made here's he here he's making the sun and here he's making the moon.
1: Right. And the stars. Right. But that's not what it's saying. Okay? It's interesting, in Genesis 1, uh, verse 1, when it said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In Genesis 1, 14, it says, let there be lights. It's exactly the same words, except it's plural, okay? We established that the let there be light in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 was revealing the light that was already there. In other words, let the light be seen, let the light be noticed on earth. Here, God is restating that in a bigger way. So the question is, what's the difference? And I think the difference is, in the first perspective, in in, in that first creative day, let there be light, it was the sun was able to begin its work. Here, when you have the sun being revealed, it's revealed in a larger way. And now it talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. It's not about their creation. It's about them becoming visible. Remember, Moses is writing this down, and he, as a man, is seeing, and I'm imagining that he's seeing the movie, okay? Let's, there's no scripture that says that. <laughs> um, but I'm imagining he's seeing this, and he's saying, oh, look, you can now see the sun and the moon and the stars. You couldn't see them before. It was light. It was like coming through deep, deep, deep clouds. Now you can actually make out the sun and the moon and the stars. Here's the important thing. What God says the reason for this fourth day is in verse 14. And Jonathan, just reread uh, verse 14 again.
2: Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Why? Why?
3: Well, think about it. We use the sun and the stars to measure all of our times, all of our seasons. It's how all of the individuals, especially back in the day, would navigate over the waters and be able to explore the earth and find things. So in other words, this is really cool. You're telling us that God set in motion these things, the ability to see these specifically For us, as a blessing, so that we could be organized and count on Him and count on nature and count on these cycles.
1: They are tools of timekeeping, the natural tools of times and seasons. That's what Genesis tells us they were there for. That's why they became visible, because humanity would need the tools of measuring seasons and times and years. That's why. So from the standpoint of the man looking, it's like, oh, so that's when it became obvious that we could start to measure things. Because God says, this is why I did it this way. Let so be- do you think
3: that that there must have been some sort of like, almost like a fog? Like I see it like when, like the dust is still settling with all these, this, this creation and then when he's moving across the waters, perhaps he's stirring things up. I, I know not literally, but that perhaps the process was that. And then it became like a like you vacuumed the atmosphere out yeah, and yeah. suddenly you could see for clarity.
1: Right. Right. And who knows how long it took, but that's was the objective of that fourth day.
3: Well, that's important. A creative day is not 24 hours long. Right. And right. that's why we don't disagree with science when you know the these creative days obviously were a period of time.
1: Right, right. And and we'll we'll expand on that a little further as we go. So, we've got this revealing of the time keeping and season keeping tools. So, Jonathan, let's let's go a little further. Sure. Some thoughts on the Genesis account being
2: tailored for the perception of man. Some may say that's not scientifically correct.
1: Well, Rick, this is a problem. And for those of us who look at this and say, "Well, if God is the God of science like you say, He shouldn't have made it sound like He created them. He should have just said, "I've made them visible for you." Well, He didn't make it sound like He created them. Pay attention, first of all. But you know, here's the thing about being scientifically sound so so julie, let let me just let me let's make the point about this. Okay. Do you know what time the sunrise was today?
3: Uh, I'm going to say probably somewhere around six fifty a
1: m. Okay, and what time was sunset today?
3: I'm going to say it was sometime around, let's say, 6.30 p.m.
1: Okay, and what about the stars in the sky? Have you ever tried to count the stars in the sky?
3: I have, and there's a lot.
1: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) wow. (laughs) do you realize that everything you just told me is complete bunk when it comes to science? Well, that's not true, though. Uh, Absolutely, it's true. What do you mean? Because the sun doesn't rise, and the sun doesn't set. If you want to be scientifically accurate, the sun is stable. Now it goes in its, in its, uh, in its course within the universe, but it's stable as far as we're concerned.
3: We rise. We're moving around the sun. That's right. Oh, okay. So
1: we say the sun rises and sun sets. It's not scientifically accurate, yet everybody says it. And we know
3: what we mean. Okay. And we know
1: exactly (laughs) what we mean. And the star, stars are not in the sky. They're beyond the sky. See, so you know, when you say, well, the Bible needs to be scientifically correct, we need to we need to understand we see things from where we are, and it's okay to recognize, oh, the sun rises in the east. Actually, no, the earth rotates, so it looks like the sun rises in the east, but the earth is actually rotating to meet the sun, which is already there. So where you are, <laughs> so it's it's you rising and setting, not the sun. And and I just want to make one more point. Did you know? That the sky is not actually blue.
3: Oh, come on.
1: Listen. <laughs> The sky is not blue. It's mostly transparent air,
2: which is at best the color of whatever light it scatters. Sure, it does scatter blue light more than red light. In fact, the higher the frequency of light, the more it gets scattered by the atmosphere. So ultraviolet scatters more than blue, which scatters more than green, more than yellow, more than red, more than infrared. But still, only a tiny bit of light scatters, while most of it goes straight through, which is, you know, how the sun can light up the ground, why we can see the moon and stars through the atmosphere, etc. The sun itself actually emits a wide range of frequencies of light and our human eyes perceive this particular combination as white or neutral in color. The vast majority of the sky appears bluish because sunlight that was trying to go somewhere else got scattered by the air and instead ended
1: up in your eye. Bummer. It still has a wide range of frequencies in it with slightly more blue than in white light, roughly the same amount of green and less red. And don't get me started about the sun not being yellow, okay? The point is, science understands the sky isn't blue, but doesn't care that we see it as blue, because that's how we see it. That's our perception of it. And Genesis 1 is written how we see it. That's the simple, simple answer, and it's in perfect harmony with everything else. So Jonathan, Genesis chapter 1 question.
2: Did God create the sun before or
1: after the vegetation on the earth? And the answer is clearly and obviously before, long before. As a matter of fact, Genesis doesn't even hint at when the sun was created. Its presence is a given in the whole process relating to the earth. So when we look at this whole Genesis chapter 1 and the supposed contradiction, it's really simple. Does the sun rise? then why do we say it does? It's from the perspective of humanity. That's what we're really talking about here. All of this really puts biblical creation into a much clearer perspective. God's science and power are awesome. With the clarity of what Genesis 1 actually taught,
2: how will we match it with Genesis 2?
0: It's not Rick and Jonathan's style to talk about themselves, so I'm going to do it. Your Christian Questions random male voice guy let's play did you know both your hosts have full-time day jobs and put a ton of time into this podcast as volunteers they're also both volunteer pastors in their church and their longtime husbands and dads so safe to say they're pretty busy but they love having weekly discussions with our listeners so make sure to reach out to us at christianquestions.com with your questions or suggested topics now let's take our discussion to the next level
1: So many have looked at these two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, side by side and concluded that they simply cannot be talking about the same thing. At first glance, it's really easy to see their point. Genesis 2 seems confused and protracted as it utterly throws off the timing of man's creation from Genesis chapter 1. So we have this inherent difficulty when you turn from the first chapter to the second chapter.
2: So, Rick and Julie, how do we as Christians handle this glaring contradiction between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2?
1: So, Jonathan, in order to handle it, let's lay it out really specifically. So this segment is just to lay out what the contradiction looks like. So, Jonathan, take us through the process of Genesis 1 and uh, was, and the question, obviously, is was Adam created before or after trees and birds and animals and Eve?
2: All right. Verses 11 and 13. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, planting yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. There was evening and there was morning a third day. And now let's move on to verses 20, 22, and 23. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning a fifth day. And that brings us, that leads us to the sixth day at the beginning here in verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And let's go to the end of the sixth day in verses 27 and 31. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth
1: day. So, Jonathan, what you read was the obvious order of events in Genesis.
2: That's correct, Rick.
1: So you've got vegetation on the third day. You've got the birds and the fish and so forth on the fifth day. You've got the cattle and creeping things at the beginning of the sixth day. And then you've got the creation of Adam and Eve at the end of the sixth day. Right. So obviously, in accordance with Genesis chapter one, man, humankind, Adam and Eve were created after all those other other things. Although in this account, it seems like uh, Adam and Eve were created at the same time. It kind of is. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. So that's what you have. But you have a very specific order that is separated by these very specific days. Okay. So, Julie, that's Genesis chapter one. How is Genesis chapter two different than that?
3: Okay, so in 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 one, you talked about first the first contradiction. God creates male and female at the same time. But now we're going to read in Genesis chapter two that suddenly man is created first and then women sometime after. And be watching also for the trees, birds, and animals that in Genesis one were created first, but Genesis two switches up that order. So let me read from Genesis two- Five seven and nine. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed out of the ground. The Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So you notice Adam's created, then out of the ground, God grows trees. And moving on to Genesis two eighteen to 19, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. So remember, Rick and Jonathan, in Genesis one, trees, birds, and animals were all created first. But here, Genesis two says man's created first, and it's again out of order. And I think at this point, people would just shut the book up and say, "Well, none of it makes any sense." If already in chapter two there was no editor to proofread it, yeah. switch the order back.
1: So, and th- so the order is dramatically different. If we're looking at them through the same eyes, the order, Jonathan, you laid it out in chapter one. It's very specific. It gives you different days. Yes. And in chapter two, Julie, what you read is it kind of like makes man the center of the creation and everything was created for him. But it looks like you've got after. Man, right. After he's created, then God says, oh, well, maybe I'll give him some, some plants and some trees and some animals. And a lion. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see where this is a difficulty. And when you admittedly look at Genesis chapter two, if you look at it and just as though you're doing a sort of a contextual reading, a, a, a consecutive narrative, you're going, "What? But that doesn't. But but wait. But hang. But 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 so." You've got to, we've got to take some time on this. And that's really what we're going to do. We're going to take some time on this because this is an amazing, amazing thing here. Uh, Jonathan, so we've got a contradiction principle that we want to lay out that is going to be the basis for us understanding how these things work.
2: When two related accounts seem incomprehensively contradictory, find the
1: connections,
2: details, and differences that reveal the harmony.
1: Okay. It seems. Like there's an incomprehensive gap. You can't say in one chapter the, the trees of the ground and the vegetation was created and then man was created later, and the very next chapter say, well, there weren't any, and God made man, and then he made the trees. You can't say both and have them both be right. So what we're saying is, but they both are right. So how do you harmonize that? And the way you harmonize it is you realize that I've got to see details. Let me look at the details of Scripture to understand how things actually fit. Because sometimes what we read on the surface is not what is meant. And that's exactly what we're going to be finding out in Genesis chapter 2. So the answer to this question is, was Adam created before or after the trees and the birds and all of that stuff, is that Genesis 1 and 2, as we will see are in complete harmony. They are in complete harmony. They simply show us vastly different aspects of the creation process.
3: Well, that's going to be interesting because I had never actually, in all the times I've read Genesis and gone to Bible class, I'd never seen these contradictions before. So when we looked at it, I just assumed that your answer was going to be, this is a flashback. It's just filling in more details about Adam. But you're saying... It's going to go deeper than
1: that. Oh, I am saying that there is, this is like, there is a novel written about the power and character of God between these two chapters. This is not merely a flashback. This is not merely one of the things that you just say, oh, it just relates to that. Oh, no, 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 no. There is depth and wisdom and profound understanding here. This, so here's where
3: the giddy part comes I'm, in.
1: I'm, I'm, I just can't stand it. All right, it. hold
3: on, folks. Here comes the giddy part.
1: <laughs> Look, folks, whatever we're about to do, it is to take a giant step in reasoning. We need to pay close attention to the details. On the
2: surface, this seems to be a problem that requires rewriting some things. How is it answered?
0: Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive.
1: As with other supposed and difficult Bible contradictions, this issue requires digging deeply beyond where most any critic would care to go. The beauty of this is that if we really pay attention we see God as He really is, and the answer becomes not only obvious, it is stunning in its beauty as well. So I am telling you flat out that and and, and Jonathan when I was talking to Julie earlier during the week this 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 study swept me right off my feet because the answer to me was so profound and so, so wonderful. I could not get over it. And that's why I said, We're changing this whole thing because <laughs> there's so much here. So go ahead. How do we take this conundrum apart, examine the pieces,
2: and put it back together? So, Rick and Julie, every mention of God in chapter one of Genesis shows. The word for God is
1: Elohim, which means deity. Why is that? Well, what Genesis chapter 1 is showing us is we see God's, the God of sheer power driving the creative process. So, Jonathan, let's just touch on a couple of those Genesis 1 scriptures. In the beginning,
2: God Elohim created the heaven and the earth, and verse 27, so God Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of God, Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them.
1: So, Rick, why are we stressing this word Elohim? It is showing that God is above and he's mighty. And throughout the entire chapter of Genesis 1, wherever you see the word God, it's that specific word. It's showing his strength and his power that is above and beyond anything we can imagine. Now, here's the thing about Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the who of creation, the what of creation, the when of creation, the where of creation, and the how of creation. What Genesis chapter 1 doesn't tell us is the why of creation. That's left out. It's just showing you here's how it happened and here's the order in which it happened and it's mighty and it's powerful and it's profound and it's scientific and it's natural. But there's no expression of the why of creation. So what do we have to do with that? Julie, what about Genesis 2?
3: Well, so what I see is in Genesis 2... This is where it starts to introduce God in a whole new way. So throughout the second chapter, whenever we see God mentioned, it's two words, not just one. And so that's it, it introduces the words Lord God, uh, Jehovah God. And now it seems like we not only have the God of power, but we have a God of relationship. Because now there's an intimacy he's going to pull down and show us what he means to us as humans.
1: So he's going to show us the why.
3: The why. That's really that's really profound. That we were missing the why of creation in Genesis 1. And so now we're going to go into it in Genesis 2. So Genesis 2 is, is a little interesting. So here, here's a little tip just to get us started. Oh, if you open your Bible to Genesis 2, 4, and that's our theme text, that's really where chapter 2 starts. Uh, verses 1 and 3 of our chapter 2 is still going into the seventh day, that grand overall record of creation. And some people might not know this, but these chapter divisions in the Bible are arbitrary. They were inserted by this Roman cardinal named Stephen Langton back in the 13th century. And he took the Latin version of the Bible called the Latin Vulgate, and he broke it into these manageable long paragraphs. And the scholarly communities adopted this. And before the printing press, the Wycliffe English Bible first used these chapters. The numbers that we see didn't get adopted till the 16th century. And while most chapter breaks make sense, this one in Genesis is especially infamous as being poorly placed. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, again, it's arbitrary. So we're going to start off with Genesis 2-4 because that's where this full creative days ended. And now we're going to start something new with this Lord God. So let me read Genesis 2-4, our new beginning point. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. And moving on to Genesis two twenty two and the rib which the Lord God, that's Jehovah Elohim, had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. So this difference. Now we're not just God, we're Lord God.
1: Okay. So what we're seeing in Genesis chapter two, like you said at the very beginning, it's introducing God in a whole new way. We're not Genesis one allowed us to see his power, the power of the creative process. Genesis two is opening us up to see his heart, the relationship part and the why of the creative process. So this is important. We see now his heart. We first saw his power. So with this marked difference in mind, we can examine the questionable parts of Genesis chapter 2. And as you said, Julie, the first three verses of Genesis 2 show God's magnificent work was complete. And you said, and rightfully so, these verses actually end the chapter 1 narrative. So Jonathan, let's just go through Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and essentially end the narrative of the first chapter.
2: Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts... By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his
1: work, which God had created and made. In those verses, the word God is used three times, and it's just, Jonathan, like you you, you said at the very beginning of the segment, it's that word Elohim.
2: That's right.
1: So it's not about Lord God but about God in the seventh day, and now he's done with the work and he rests. Now we're presented with this new viewpoint, Julie, that you introduced to us just a few moments ago. So far, and this is really interesting, and I'm going to ask you to reread, Julie, I am going to want you to reread this one, Genesis 2.4, because so far it was about the creation of the heavens and the earth. That's what Genesis 1 was about, and they were made by the mighty God. And now we're going to see why... The Lord God, not just mighty God, but the Lord God made earth and heaven. So, Julie, just let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 one more time.
3: This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Okay, wait. So, what you notice is it was heavens and the earth, and it just switched over to earth and heaven all in the same sentence. Um. So if any of our listeners are confused on this and you can't visualize this, again, in about a week after this program, the CQ Rewind show notes will be available. Go ahead and download it from our website or sign up for to receive the weekly newsletter and we'll send them to you as soon as they're hot off the press. And you can follow along with this and see how it goes from heavens and earth and suddenly it switches to earth and heaven.
1: Okay. So now one of the questions would be why? Why? You know, and we're going yeah, th- through the why of the creation. But, you know, why does God give us this next level of understanding? And let me let me give you an example, because in Genesis 1, we see ultimate power. That's what we see. We, we see power and plan, but we don't know the why behind it. And we have a one-dimensional view of God. And as an example, folks, think about a an elementary school teacher that you had. Just think about a teacher that may had a had a good in, a good influence. Not a bad influence, but a good influence on you. And you see that individual. First of all, you sort of lock them down in that period of time when you knew them, but you see them as your teacher. You don't it doesn't occur to us generally that that teacher probably was a mom or a dad, was somebody's son or daughter. Maybe they were an athlete, maybe they were a poet, maybe they were a soldier. We don't know anything else about them. We had a one-dimensional view, and that was good. Have you ever had the experience of going back to meet one of those teachers long afterwards? See, I was able to do that earlier in life, and it was really cool to meet somebody who had a great influence, and it wasn't elementary school for me. It was middle school, um, a couple of these teachers, and I got to know them as people, and walking away, it's like, whoa, there's so much more to them than I thought. That's what Genesis 2 is. Genesis 2 is taking that one-dimensional view and saying, now let me show you why. Because there's so much more to God than you thought. So as we go through and we pick up now, we're in Genesis chapter 2, we see it's, it, two things happen. Lord God, instead of just God, relationship and power, if you will. And then it says he made earth and heaven. Why does it reverse it? See, earth takes precedent. As the home of man, because, as we'll see, man is the centerpiece of the entire creative process. So Genesis 2 is not telling us what, uh, who, and when, and where, and how. It's saying why. It's saying, I'm now going to talk to you about earth and heaven. Earth first, because it's the home of man. And I did all of this for you. And we're going to come back to that thought. And that thought is bigger than you think. Okay. It's bigger than we think. So, Jonathan, now let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6.
2: Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise
1: from the earth and the water Of the whole surface of the ground. So the attention goes to plant life in Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. This is one of those contradiction verses, okay? It goes to plant life and the connection of man as the centerpiece of its cultivation. God is not doing this as a consecutive order approach. He's saying, I'm going to talk to you as your God, as the one you have a relationship with. As to why all of this was put in place, and so Jonathan and Julie, when we go back, it says, you know, there was no plant of the field had hadn't sprouted because there was no rain and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Why would God say that? It's not he's not talking about the order of creation. He's talking about the importance of man being part of the actual earth, of being the one to cultivate the plants. Did you ever notice that vegetables and fruit trees and so forth need our cultivation for them to be able to produce properly? That's by design. So God is saying that when I created the vegetation, it was going to need cultivation. And I created it that way because you, Adam, and your family were going to be the ones who would make that work. I'm giving you these things to work with and you can actually put your hands on them and make them productive and you're part of the productivity of what will eventually feed you. You you see the connection, the the centerpiece that mankind is given. This is not about consecutive creation. It's about the why. Vegetables and, and fruit trees and so forth need our attention. That's on purpose because god wanted humanity connected with the earth so the attention goes to plant life and the connection of man as the centerpiece of its cultivation god would eventually send rain and man would eventually cultivate it's not about order it's about why you guys with me so far absolutely
3: mhm
1: okay anything to add at this point or just keep going keep, keep going. going okay so next, the account shows the connection between God and man. So he connected, he said, earth and heaven. The God of relationships said earth and heaven, and the first thing was the, the vegetation of the ground. And now in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, God shows the connection between he himself and us. And, and this is profound. Genesis 2, 7 through 9. Jonathan, go ahead.
2: Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being.
1: Understand that in all of the however many millions of years of creation you don't have a statement like this anyplace else. There's no other earthly creation that was so personally created and energized the way Adam was. It. Adam had God's physicality, essentially, attached to him as he breathes. Now, you know, I don't know how literally to take this, but he, he breathes into him life. This is man created in God's own image. And he's saying, you're the pinnacle of everything I'm doing. And to show that you are the pinnacle, this is why the account tells us, this is why I breathe life into you personally because you are created in my image to take care of this earth that I've made for you. Is that astounding? That is.
3: It's just, well, it's deeply touching because there's no other being that's given this personal hands-on treatment from the creator. You know, God personally, energized Adam and everything else. It was just cycles of nature that he set in motion, giving life to plants and animals that would just, you know, they were just put there right here. There's some special touch that was provided from the creator of the universe. Boy, that makes me feel really small.
1: Well, and and important, you know, there's an importance here. Jonathan, go ahead.
2: And they were given dominion over the earth. They're King of the earth. God has put them in place. To take care of his beautiful creation, that is so special.
1: And how and, are
3: we doing on that?
1: Yeah, well, and we'll uh. see. You, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit in the next segment. But understand, we are Adam's posterity. It is us that God says this is for you. That is the power of the second chapter of Genesis. It's telling us why. It's saying you, humanity, are the most important thing in this whole amazing process it's done for you so you can be interactive with it and there's just so much more that's that's going to be coming so when you think about it how many how many how many times have we had to read these verses and not stop to think about the heart of god
2: it is breathtaking to see the importance of humanity
1: in god's creation what does it all mean and our bumper's not playing that's interesting. Well, that's kind of an odd thing to have happen. <laughs> uh, you know what, folks? Just give me one second here, okay? Da, da,
2: da, da, da. That was longer than a second, wasn't yeah, it, Julie? Really?
1: I'll, I'll be, yeah,
3: I'll be the bumper. And Rick and Jonathan I've going to get really low for... Her.
0: We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app, and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together.
1: This is a classic lesson in reviewing evidence from an appropriate viewpoint. If we're truly committed to truth when we look for it without agenda... To see the logic of God's creation and then to easily laugh it off, laugh off the deeper meaning we're uncovering shows a serious lack of integrity. And that's not what we want to do here. We want to have integrity as we look into the scriptural accounts and try to put them in order and help them to be understandable to the average person as we go through these things. So let's continue with this theme of God creating all of these things for humanity and genesis chapter 2 showing us not a consecutive a chain of events but showing us why and he explained you know i create i i I created uh, vegetation to eventually need watering from the sky now we know it didn't rain till after the flood but it explained in genesis 2 that this mist came up from the ground until such time Okay, uh, but it also said that it needed man's touch. It needed cultivation. So let's get going through to, to the next point. God doesn't stop with the personal connection. Now he had a very personal connection creating Adam. Man was the reason for the entire creative effort. So let's go to Genesis chapter two, uh, verses eight and nine. Jonathan, go ahead.
2: The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden and the tree
1: of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's interesting, again, in Genesis 2 from verse 4 on, every time God is mentioned, without exception, it says the Lord God, okay? You're being reminded This is the God of relationship. This is why Genesis 1 happened in all of its, in all of its grandeur. This is why. And now we get into this planting of this garden, this beautiful garden, and he places Adam into this garden and you've got trees that are pleasing to the sight. So, so God again connects man and plant life, but this time it's in the pristine garden. And this shows God's love for his human creation. He gave them the beautiful garden, not just the vegetation to work with from scratch. So so there's a, a lot here as as we develop the story of Genesis chapter 2. Thoughts on this? Well, I,
2: I love the, the fact that the tree of life is this special tree in the Garden of Eden that gives perfect health and vitality to adam and the rest of the human creation that's what it was there for and what a loving father to say i'm taking such great care of you that you are going to be healthy and 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 moving forward in in this beautiful world
1: so you've got this tree of life that gives them everything that they need along with with the other things and the the, one of the things that that's really important here in, in terms of every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. Did God have to make them pleasing to the sight? No. Did he have to make them all those different colors? No. Yes. How about the fruit, all those different flavors? Why? Because it was for his human creation. Julie, it looks like you were ready to say something there.
3: Well, I got a couple of things. One, you know, one of my favorite meditations of thankfulness is that I think of, if a creator makes a creation that requires food, it's just that food be provided but there's nothing that says it has to taste good, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And he gave us really an unlimited flavor palette for man to discover of every color and texture. So we could never get bored with food. But you know what? I just got texted a question from a listener. And so let me just pull it up here real quick. Just going back, you know how it said the Lord made the two great lights to govern the day and the night. Yes. The moon is not a light. So it reflects one great light. right? So my answer to that would be to remember this is from the perspective of man. So what would man do, especially primitive man do when they're looking up into the heavens? You see there's a light by day and a light by night. The science of how how you're seeing the light isn't the point. It's that that's your man's perspective. Two lights in the sky. Right. One at night, one in day. Right,
1: because that's what it looks like. Just like it looks like the sun rises, and we're all okay with that. Okay? The moon reflects the light of the sun, and it's there as a time keeper. And the Jewish calendar was built upon the cycle of the moon, very precisely that 28-day cycle. So that lesser light to rule the night was there as a timekeeper, And no, it wasn't a light that... That had power come from within it it simply reflected the light
3: and, and think about when you talk about the light of the moon it's we don't say the light of the sun bouncing off the moon right. we say I was on the ship and we navigated by the light of the
1: moon exactly exactly so it, it, it all does make perfect perfect sense so again let's get back to the garden and the beauty and the and 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 God putting Adam into this incredible, incredible environment. It shows his love for man, the beautiful garden, and it's not from scratch. Understand, vegetation needs humanity to develop it, to cultivate it. God had pre-cultivated the garden to say, this is what the finished product looks like. Now keep it this way. It's going to need your attention. It's a beautiful Beautiful picture, and you know, and Trish, my wife, just handed me a note saying, "Talk about bringing forth a child, you know." And it is, it's an amazing gift as a parent, and you know, you can't even imagine it when you have when you have that child, and you, I tell you, you're, you know, the wife does all the work, okay. But if you get to be there, like I was three times, and you witness the birth of that child, it is like this miracle of life that you have had a part in creating. That is a minuscule picture of what God did and felt the beauty of that creation let's continue then with this lavish gift of the garden okay and the dominion required uh, that jonathan you had mentioned earlier the dominion in the garden required both obedience and maintenance so now adding to the personal connection to the earth and god's personal attention to humanity we're now going to um Give God's personal attention to humanity in terms of what they do. God gave personal attention in terms of of, of breathing into us the breath of life. Now let's go to Genesis two, fifteen and 17, 2, seventeen.
2: Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And uh, Rick, a real quick point here: uh, this could be pulled out as well. If Adam ate the fruit, he should have died that day. So there's another contradiction. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's back up a little bit. Um, a day, as Julie mentioned earlier, is a period of time. A day to the Lord is a thousand years, because Peter told us that in Second Peter three eight. So Adam died before he reached 1,000 years. He lived actually 930 years, which we can prove in Genesis 5, 4. So this is just proving there was no contradiction when he said, in that day you will surely die.
1: And when you look at the original Hebrew in that verse, it actually says, dying thou shalt die. And so you get the sense of, as and Julie, we were talking about the cycles of creation in, in earlier in the podcast, it, it's this the cycle of death began.
3: And I wonder if something was actually started with the it had to be something in the DNA. Yeah. something had to have been like it, it miscopied or something where now these cells would reproduce in a sickly way or would reproduce only a certain number of times, not infinitely. And they would stop. And I think something physically had to happen to man. And I, you know, we had another question that got texted in um, asking about, well, what about all the viruses? When were viruses created? We'll and see. I, and I,
1: oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead and finish.
3: And I, I wonder if perhaps that was per- something that was also perverted, just like the DNA. Perhaps Satan was allowed to do certain things and create these other variations that were really perversions of what the original was. Or maybe that was already in the unfinished earth.
1: Well, and and what we understand is that that had God, uh, had mankind been completely obedient, there would have been no viruses and mankind would have been immune to such things because the tree of life would have kept those things away. But because the tree of life is now not nourishing them, they're missing something that helps them to resist. And so now it begins to unfold. When were viruses created? They happened. They happened as a result of imperfection. That's what—God didn't create the viruses. What he did is he allowed the course of nature to take its—to uh, to, to follow through when humanity was not in a protected state. And you say, well, well, you know, why didn't God make, you know, humanity so it would always be protected? Because we needed to learn obedience. Right. And that's, that's the big lesson now. And, you know, look, eat, uh, eat Tootsie Rolls and Hershey bars— you know for the next four or five weeks and see how healthy you are. You know, that's what sin and death. It's it's likening that's a likeness to sin and death. It's just not going to get you there. So again, we've got the attention that God gives in in to to humanity by saying, I'm instructing you because you're the only creation in this entire earthly environment that can think and reason through and can can communicate on a higher level than just basic instinct. I am showing you how to be like me. That's what he's saying here. So it's not about the order of things. It's about the why. And God gives humanity clear instruction. No other part of God's creation was was created in his image. No other creation, therefore, needed such instruction because they were limited to instinct. We are not. We are like God in His image, with the ability to think and to choose. So God shows us in Genesis two fifteen to seventeen great personal attention. Now let's add the connection to the animal world in the next verses. God's purpose for man's role expands even further to the animal world. Genesis two eighteen and nineteen, and this is one of those places where you think, "Oh, it's all out of order." Let's read it and then let's put it in in a way that we can really easily understand it and understand it. Jonathan, go ahead. Then the Lord
2: God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name.
1: So the connection between man and animals shows Adam is clearly above them. And Jonathan, as you said, has dominion because Adam designates their names. Now, here's the thing. It says, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. He is not showing us an order of things. He's showing us why. He's showing us that you've got man and he brings the animals to him. He formed them for man. It's not showing us the order. It's saying, man is the pinnacle of my earthly creation. I'm bringing the other breathing creatures before him to establish the relationship between them, and they will be subservient to the man. So it's not about order, but it's about putting the why saying look at what else i've given you i've not only given you the plants of the ground and the trees to eat from but i've given you these animals as companions i mean think about that it says you know the animal kingdom was created to be companions for humanity that's incredible he doesn't just give us the stark earth and say here go figure it out he lays it out this is the epitome of a loving father. And with all of that, with all of the beauty that God gave man, something was still missing. And Julie, you wanted to add something here, I think.
3: Um well, so this is what the contradiction is you know, animals are created after Adam, which contradicts Genesis 1. But we're saying that's not the point of Genesis 2, is not to say it's a it's a chronological record. It's now here are the gifts that that mankind is being given from this Lord God creator.
1: Right. So it's Genesis 2 is not about the order of creation. It's about the why. And every part of Genesis chapter 2 puts man in the center and the and the, the lesson of Genesis 2 is you are the why you are the most important thing here i created everything else because of you and he purposely doesn't create eve at the very beginning so adam can understand her beauty and her significance in his life so jonathan let's go to genesis 2:22 The Lord God fashioned
2: into the woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man.
1: So now you have him completed and you have the beautiful verses about man clinging to his wife that follow these verses. This is the why. It's not about the order. That's not material in Genesis 2. This is the God of relationship, not the God of power that we're seeing. Same God, different face, different part of him, if you will. And we're seeing his love. Genesis 1 shows us to first know God as the Almighty, know what he can do. Genesis 2 shows us to then know him as your Lord and God and have a relationship with him. That's God's why. God spent millions of years preparing the earth for Adam and his family. When we, you know, somebody's birthday comes up, you buy a card or you send them a text or you write them an email or and and you you think a few minutes or you buy them something on Amazon or whatever it is and we take a few minutes and we're thoughtful. God, for millions of years, thought about the end result of man. Talk about thoughtful. Talk about loving. Talk about pre-planning. That's why Genesis 2 exists. It shows us this. Now we can see more clearly... God's reasoning and his requirements for these high standards. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 5, when God gives the law.
2: Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol of any likeness, or what is in heaven or on the earth, or beneath the earth or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Rick, I have a question. Go ahead. So what is the best way to explain that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 fit together in honoring our Heavenly Father?
1: Well, I think that's the best way to explain it is to say they fit together to honor our Heavenly Father. They show us His immense power and they show His immense reason. And in Exodus it says, I am a jealous God. Why is He jealous? Because He spent millions of years preparing for mankind. And we are here and He wants our loyalty because that is what's best for us. That's how He created us. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So... Not only are Genesis 1 and 2 in harmony with one another, they need each other to tell the story of the greatness of God. It's different dimensions of the same God. Genesis 1 shows us his unfathomable power, and Genesis 2 shows us his tender-hearted love for humanity. He made the world for us. That's why. That's the whole reason for Genesis 2. It's not about chronological happenings. It's about the plants were there so you could cultivate them. It's about the animals are there so you could have them as companions and you could name them. And I gave you your wife so you would be complete. I breathed into you life personally because you are the most important thing to me in this entire earthly creation. Julie, any final thoughts as we wrap this up?
3: Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for this mini series that we're doing on contradictions. And I think the ironic part is instead of making our faith waver, it's actually strengthening because the deeper we look, the deeper the lessons and the deeper the appreciation. So I'm, 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 I'm grateful to be part of this.
1: You know, it is, it is such a really, really profound lesson here. And, and just, you know, to wrap this up, let's assume, and I know this is not true, but let's assume it took 6 million years to set up uh, creation, 6 million, okay? We know that it was probably much longer than that, but but stay with me. We've, mankind's physical history has been for 6,000 years, okay? And we say, wow, God has forgotten us. You understand that 6,000 years is one one thousandth of 1% of 6 million It's a process. We're in the midst of the creative process with the obedience part. Do you think God has got it under control? He had the last several million years under control. I can assure you. According to scripture, He's got this under control and it will bring exactly what He wants. That is the God of Genesis 1, the God of power. And the God of Genesis 2, the same God showing us His relationship to us his incredible fatherly love. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week... Contradictions Part 6 Do the accounts of Jesus' life contradict themselves? You can already guess some of the answers, but the question is do you know why the answers exist? Talk to you next week.